Your life is still a vapor, whether you're young or whether you're not so young. You don't know if you have a, a day or 10 years left. You don't know. We live a day at a time, don't we? Now, in the light of all that, how should we live our lives? Open up your Bible, please, to the New Testament book of James. The book of James. Well, how do you like the afternoon service so far? We, uh, <laughs> we did a, an afternoon service on the afternoon that we're trying to pack up the teens for camp. And being a first Sunday, it's communion. So, uh, hey, never rains, it pours. If we, we might have done things a little differently had we uh, a little bit of hindsight maybe, but it doesn't matter. Nonetheless, praise the Lord. It's all good. The communion table is set up here today, and in just a little bit, we're going to have our men come, and they're going to assist us. Now, the communion service, remember, is to remind us what our Lord did for us, and if Jesus hadn't have sacrificed his life, we wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't have heaven. We wouldn't have any of the blessings of God if the Lord Jesus had not have laid down his life and offered it as a sacrifice. So, he set the example. Now, James chapter 4 and verse number 14 James 4.14 I think most of you know this verse. Let's read it out loud together. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. So there's God telling us something about life. How many have found, how many have discovered that life goes by quickly. Raise your hand. Yeah, that's just about every one of us. Um, it's true. It's not as long as what we think. When we're children, we think that, oh, the summer, man, that's like five years in length. And two months, that's all it is. And it goes by pretty quick. And then, oh, back to school. Why is everyone so happy? You know, stop being happy. Oh, I got to go back to school. And that, that kind of thing. Well, life, life goes by, right? You turn around and a year's gone, and you turn around again, five years have gone. Some of the uh, young marrieds uh, in our church, it just seems almost yesterday they were getting married. Now they've got you know, two or three little kids all running around. Isn't that funny how that, that works? I was uh, emailing with a pastor this afternoon he's 56 and he's about to become a grandpa so his daughter is great with child and so they're all excited about that and well you know these things are in the Lord's hands but um, 56 and finally being a grandpa hey better late than never you ask me 
I, I, I think grand, grandchildren are wonderful. In my opinion, I think every grandparent should have grandchildren. That's, that's how I see the matter. Well, we come to this question, what is your life? What is your life? I wonder how a, a lot of people might answer that question. What is your life? Now, for some people, their whole life is wrapped around their children, right? Some folks are like that. Everything else takes second, third, fourth place. But their children are their first and foremost priority. And the sun rises and sets on those kids. Well, that's what some people think life is. For others, of course, it's their career and their, their work and their working on up the corporate ladder. And boy, one of these days they're going to be at the top, right? And for some people, that's their life. Well, for every person, life is a bit of a vapor. It appeareth for a little while and it's gone. And that's exactly what vapor does. Um, clouds are like vapor, aren't they? And if you've ever gone up the side of a mountain, maybe the grouse grind or something, you get up a little higher and the cloud level is a little on the low side, you can actually kind of be in some of that vapor. But it comes, it goes, and that's what life is. Someone made a, a little story, kind of a poem, and I, I forget, I probably should have wrote, wrote it down so I could read it to you, but the essence of the poem was the dash between, uh, the, dash between the dates, or the dash between the lines, I think. Someone had gone for a walk through the graveyard, and they had all of these tombstones, they were looking at all these different names, and there'd be a birth date when they were born, and a date when they died. And there was this dash between the line. And as they looked at this, they realized how short life seems. Now you think of what year you were born. Get that number in your head. What year were you born? Okay? You don't know what year you'll die. You don't know. Could be this year. Could be next year. Could be the year after. Could be a long time from now, but you don't know. So you could pick a date, any date you want. But in between those two dates is this dash that represents your life. You were born here, you died here, this little line, that's your life. It's the dash between the dates. Sounds better if I could have read you the real story, but you get the idea how quickly life goes by. And so often we get thinking well, what is my life? Well, let's see. There's the, the kids. There's the, the career. Uh, there's the cottage. Uh, let's see. What else is there? You know? And we start putting together things that anyone in the world would put together. But folks, we're different because we're in Christ. And when you and I got saved, when we repented of our sin and trusted in Jesus Christ, He came into our life and life became new all over again. It became wonderful. And we realized that this world is not our home. Our home is in heaven. We have a new master, a savior, a Lord Jesus. And he's coming for us one day. So we've got hope. We have wonderful hope. And men and women who are saved, they have hope beyond the grave. A lot of people have no hope whatsoever. And I've been to a lot of funerals in my years. And uh, probably you have too. And you know that some of them, 
They're just filled with remorse and, you know, grinding of teeth and weeping and sorrow. That's what some funerals are filled with. And other funerals of, um, of saved people, the tone is different. We know that that person who passed away, who saved, is gone to be with Jesus. You see, if you know where something is, it's not lost. A lot of people have no hope, no sight, no vision beyond the grave. And so death holds a, a, terrible, a terrible fear, a grip for them. But we as born-again Christians, we have something far, far better. Far, far better. And in Christ, we've got this endless hope. For people who don't have Christ, it's a hopeless end. But for us who have Jesus Christ, it's an endless hope. It's wonderful. But we're not in heaven yet. We're still in the dash, right? We're still in the vapor part. And so we have to th- you know, think about this carefully. What is our life? What is our purpose down here? Is it just to make a few dollars, have a few laughs, give birth to a few kids, have a few cats and dogs, and then die? Is that the grand purpose? of God for our lives. And I don't think it is. Now, I would like to take us one step gloomier. (laughs) Turn back a few pages, not too far, to Hebrews chapter 11. So remember, what is your life? What is your life? And... We'll keep that in mind as we look at verse 35. And let's see, actually maybe verse 36. Hebrews 11, 36. So just follow along with me. I'll read two or three verses. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. This is part of Hebrews chapter 11, that great chapter on faith. We call it the Hall of Faith. And it's a wonderful chapter about great men and women who live by faith. But tucked into this chapter are a number of, of born again, we'd call them Christian, men and women. They're saved. They're in heaven. But look at their dash. There was definitely a year that they were born. Definitely a year they died. And look at the little bit of vapor in between. My, oh my. Many of us wouldn't call that a vapor. We'd call that a dark cloud. Boy, you look at them. It says here in verse um, 36, they're cruel mockings, scourgings. You know what that is, right? That's a terrible whipping. And the whip was a terrible instrument with little pieces of bone or metal on the ends of all of the, the strings. And so you get whipped with this. Really claw the flesh right off your body. That's a scourging. 
bonds and imprisonment. See verse 37, stoned. That doesn't mean someone flicked a pebble at them. People picked up large rocks and hurled them, hit them in the head and the chest and the arms. Bones were broken, blood gushed. Then they finally died. And look at this, sawn asunder. Um, Tradition has it that Isaiah the prophet was put to death that way. They hollowed out a log and they stuck him inside this log and then they sawed the log in half. Wow, what kind of vapor is that? What kind of dash might that be? Many of the prophets in the Old Testament were killed. The Lord Jesus seemed to bear witness to that. That most of them were all put to death. I suppose that Elijah might have been uh, an exception. Um, Hey guys, the camera's gone all blurry. Sorry, I just had to send a secret message to the media booth there. (laughs) Thank you guys. I have a little monitor up here so I I get to see if my tie's crooked. These poor old souls in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we have a fellow named Stephen, a great lover of God, and he was a good preacher too. You remember what happened to him? How did he get honored? He was what? Stoned to death. That's right. Stephen was stoned to death. We just read James. What is your life? James chapter 4. James was beheaded. He chopped his head off. That's a grisly, gruesome thing. You know, people who do that kind of work as a living, uh, there's, there's less of them these days. In days gone by, there were more of them. Yeah, right? You know, the executioner. But some of those people could hardly live with themselves. Some were real monsters, but others, they couldn't get the, the thoughts out of their head of what they were doing. That's pretty grisly kind of work. I imagine being an executioner is a grisly job. Not something that I would do. But James was beheaded. The Apostle Paul also beheaded. Um, John the Baptist. Great man of God, beheaded. Tradition has it that the Apostle Peter was crucified. And when he realized that they were going to crucify him, he said, I I can't be crucified like this. My Lord was crucified like this. So they turned the cross upside down. And tradition has it that he was crucified upside down. Remember, crucifixion was a horrible way. It wasn't just that they threw a few nails in you. That wasn't it. There was a whole lot more uh, baggage and torture to that. Uh, Many early Christians were thrown to the lions. You know about that kind of thing. You've heard about that or read about that. Our early forefathers and foremothers in the faith were rounded up and they were brought into the arena and the lions were let loose on them. And this kind of thing is real history. This really happened. We're going to meet these people in heaven. We're going to maybe say, how did you get to heaven? And some are going to tell us about having their head chopped or being slain with the sword or shot with uh, darts or arrows. Uh, Some may have been thrown from a a cliff. I've read where um, 
the Emperor Nero would take some of the Christians and strap them to a, a post, a pole, and cover them with tar, and then light them on fire. And that would provide light. They were, they were like human torches to provide light for the games down below. It's just insane, the, the madness of unsaved men and women and what they, they do to people. But consider that, that these people who, who died, their, their life went up in a puff of smoke, right? These are heroes, absolute heroes of the faith. Um, you've heard of John Wycliffe, or Wycliffe, as sometimes they say his name is pronounced, John Wycliffe. He was the one who translated the uh, Latin Vulgate into English. So we had our first English Bible in 1382 by Wycliffe. And um, he died shortly thereafter. Years later, the Catholic Church was so angry with, with Wycliffe that they ordered his body to be dug up and they burned it. And then they cast his ashes you know, out in the river as if they thought they were punishing him somehow. There was a follower, one of the followers of Wycliffe. His name was John Huss. And John Huss actively promoted Wycliffe's basic idea that the common people should be able to read the Bible in their language. And this was totally against the Catholic Church at that time. The Catholic Church, in, that, in, in fact, was so powerful that they put a death ban, like a, a, sorry, a death sentence on anyone who owned a Bible. It was totally forbidden. You weren't allowed. And so John Huss believed that people ought to be able to read the Bible in their own language, as did Wycliffe. And so John Huss was arrested and condemned, and he was burned at the stake in 1415. And interestingly... They took copies of Wycliffe's Bible and used those to help get the fire going around the base of his stake where they burned John Huss. They basically burned him to death with Wycliffe's Bible. Bibles were used as kindling for the fire. Interesting, John Huss, the last words that he uttered before he died and went to heaven... He said, while bound to the stake there, he said, in a hundred years God will raise up a man whose calls for reform cannot be suppressed. Now that was in 1415. In 1517, so just over a hundred years later, a young man named Martin Luther had had it up to here with the Catholic Church. And he went and nailed to the door of a Catholic church in uh, Wurttemberg is 95 theses. 95 things that he, he had exception, he took exception with of the Catholic church. And so the prophecy came true. There was born a young man named William Tyndale who became an incredible uh, linguist and uh, brilliant at translating uh, Latin, Greek, and Hebrew. And he came to love the Lord. And he translated the scriptures into English. 
Well, William Tyndale also was arrested. He was imprisoned in a Belgian castle. Um, For over 500 days, he was subject to horrible conditions. He almost died in those, those days. The conditions were that bad. He was tried for heresy and... Um, in a ridiculously unfair trial, he was found guilty and convicted to death. Tyndale was tied to the stake. Then he was strangled to death and then finally burned in the prison courtyard in 1536. Now, Tyndale's last words, it was a prayer. As he was there dying, he prayed, Lord, Open the King of England's eyes. And this prayer was answered three years later in 1539 in the publication of King Henry VIII's English Great Bible. It was called the Great Bible because it was so big. And finally, King Henry VIII gave his permission to have the Word of God officially translated. John Bunyan was born in 1628. And he was probably one of the most famous of the Puritan writers and preachers. The Puritans were called that because they wanted to live a pure life. Do you want to live a pure life? Then, in a manner of speaking, you too would be a Puritan. And these were men and women who loved the Lord. They believed in salvation. They believed in the Bible, just like how we do. And John Bunyan became associated with them, became one of their most famous preachers and so um, he's most well known for his book Pilgrim's Progress you heard of that and it's one of the most printed books in history he wrote that while he was in prison he was in prison because he refused to take a church sanctioned license to preach he was saying no God is the one who's called me to preach not the church And so to pay for this crime, what they called it, he spent a total of 14 years in a lousy prison. But you know, our Lord Jesus Christ, he's our greatest example. Now, what I'm doing this afternoon is I'm painting a picture. We said, what is your life? You know that little vapor? Well, these vapors don't, they don't look too too pretty, do they? And yet they're just as real. But in heaven, these men and women of whom I've been speaking are heroes. They are on God's top list of the most exciting people. These are normal, everyday humans like you and me with one decision difference. They were going to live their life for the Lord Jesus. And they did it in turbulent times. We live in non-turbulent times. I mean, what's the worst trouble we can get into as a Christian? Someone will bark at us. Someone will call us names. Maybe if we work for someone who is not a Christian and we uh, offer a word of testimony, we won't get a promotion. Something like that. Maybe we'll be passed over. That's the kind of trial and trouble and persecution we face today. But what if we didn't live today? What if we lived back then? Huh? What if we lived back in Jesus' day? When the Roman government said, Oh, you Christians, you are illegal. You are against the law. 
and we, we will arrest you and we will torture you and we will put you to death if need be. You see, the Christians, they refused to recognize the emperor Caesar as a god. That was part of the politics back then. You had to pay homage to the emperor. The way you did that was you would burn a little incense to the emperor. You could have as many gods as you want, but you just have to include the emperor. What the Christians did was they got rid of all of the gods and the emperor, and they worshipped the one true God. So that made them an enemy of the state. Oh, they can't be trusted, those Christians. There is um, history written to the effect that Nero caused or helped cause the burning of most of Rome and blamed it on the Christians. So whether that's 100% true or not, we don't know. But we do know this, that so many Christians paid for their faith with their lives. Did you know there are still Christians today in parts of the world? The cost of being a Bible-believing follower of Jesus Christ is torture and death. Did you know that? I read in the news, uh, some Christian news this morning, that an evangelist, a Christian evangelist over in Nigeria, and this is a real good evangelist, he was uh, uh, preaching. The, uh, the strictest Muslims over there said, you will not do this. Uh, and he continued to preach. And so he was martyred. They beat him up badly and killed him. He paid with his life. So that kind of thing is really still happening. But what if we lived back in the days of John Wycliffe and John Huss and William Tyndale? What if we lived back in the days of, of Jesus and, uh, and Stephen and um, Paul and Peter? What if we were living back then and trying to live a Christian life? What would we think life is back then? Would we still be thinking careers, cottages, boats? Would we still be thinking, you know, golden retirement with a gold watch and a handshake and, you know, all of these benefits? What would we be thinking life is? This scripture that we read in James chapter 4 was written 2,000 years ago to the Christians living back then in those days, in those conditions. Your life is a little vapor. It was an encouragement to them, really, because many of them were living under the threat of arrest, torture, and death. It's something that we don't live under today. So how can we relate to that? If we were living in some other part of the world where a similar arrest, torture, and death were part of being a, a Christian, we could relate a little more. Under communist Russia, a lot of Christians were arrested, tortured, and put to death. Many of them sent up to Siberian labor camps, all for their faith. What is your life? What is your life? Now, if you're here this afternoon and you're on the younger side and you're looking forward to maybe 40 years, 50 years of life, and maybe you've been thinking, well, you know, the career and the, the house and the cottage and the boat and so on. Is that, is that really how we should be thinking? Your life is still a vapor, whether you're young or whether you're not so young. You don't know if you have a, a day or ten years left. You don't know. 
We live a day at a time, don't we? Now, in the light of all that, how should we live our lives? I think the Lord Jesus really is our example. We ought to look to Him. We ought to live our lives like the Lord Jesus. And like we could be called home to heaven any day. If the Lord was going to call you home at midnight tonight, are you ready? Would you be ready? If the Lord, I'm not saying the rapture where we all get taken home in once. I, I mean you. If tonight at midnight, and it was your turn, the Lord said, my child, come home. Then what? Well, you're going to leave a few people behind, aren't you? Are you ready? Have you given that some thought? You know, when the baby's yet to be born, we give a lot of thought about that, don't we? And we think, well, the baby's going to be coming in a few months. Oh, we're going to need a little nursery at home. All right, let's pick out the, the wallpaper. Let's pick out, you know, the bassinet. Let's get together all of the supplies we're going to need. And we give thought to that, don't we? But we don't give usually much thought, you know, to when the Lord calls us home. And uh, then all of a sudden we begin life on the other side of eternity. Hmm? We don't give too much thought about that. And maybe we ought to. What is your life? It's just a little vapor. That's what it is. George Bernard was a, a Methodist evangelist. And back in 1912, he was preaching down in the States in Michigan. And he was severely ridiculed for his preaching. And his heart was broken. And that experience led him back to uh, his room where he took a pen and paper and he started to write a poem. And he wrote, On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. Do you know that poem? It wasn't long before music was put to it. George Bernard was the author of The Old Rugged Cross. What a blessed hymn that is to our hearts. We love that one. Love to sing it. But you see that experience of his life being like a vapor. That's what led to that blessing. I heard a story from a friend of mine who... Um, I understand was there, but um, it happened in the Vietnam War. Some of the, uh, the American guys, there was this new recruit that came in and he was kind of a, a geeky looking you know, guy. He didn't look like a tough man, you know, sort of. He was a geeky looking fella. And they were poking fun at him and making jokes about him. And so one day they had an idea. They took a grenade and they opened it up and they took out all of the explosive powder. They took out the primer and everything so that it was dead, right? They put it back together. And uh, then they were going to play a joke on them. And so uh, they all got together in kind of a circle and, and the geeky guy was there. And um, one of the guys, you know, was uh, playing with a grenade, you know, and said, hey, watch this. And he pulls the pin out, but he's still got the handle held tight. And his buddies are saying, hey, 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 that's dangerous. That thing could go off. That could, could ah, they, he said, oh, don't be sissies and stuff. And he says, watch, I'll even, I'll even play with it. And he threw it. And of course, then the handle came off. 
And this thing fell down in the midst of them. And they, they cried out, Grenade! Grenade! This geek, they, they, they are all in on it except him. And they were expecting him to wet his pants and run for the, the jungle. But instead what he did was he threw himself on the grenade. And he says, I got it, guys. I got it. You get out. And they were dumbfounded. They couldn't believe. Finally, the truth came out. You know, he didn't blow up. And they told him, hey, it was just a joke. We're sorry. But from that day on, their opinion of him changed. You see, this geek was a Christian. He knew that if he died, he'd be in heaven. The opinion of the Christian changed that day amongst the, the guys. Now they, they thought quite highly of the geek. He wasn't afraid to die. Because he knew that his life was just a little vapor anyhow. Being sent over to Vietnam for the war, he knew he might not come home. But it was all right. What is your life? It's just a little vapor, isn't it? And it could go at any time. Folks, we need to resolve in our hearts that we will live for Jesus so that if He calls us today or tomorrow or next week, we are ready. We are ready because we're living our lives for the King. What is your life? Pray with me, please. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.